there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? Don Hall, and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us. in a park so it's a less controlled environment so there's more things that can go uh, go haywire I guess but you know people also find creative solutions to to get around the park's policies I was standing near the park's entrance and a guy comes out and he starts digging in a bush and I was like what is this guy doing and then he starts pulling out like scissors and you know other things out of the bush and I'm like what the hell is going on here and it took me a while to realize that he must have put it there when he came into the park because security wouldn't let him bring it in. You know, no scissors, nothing like that. So I knew it was happening, but I hope someone else was watching too, and they're like, why is this guy just found treasure inside of a rose bush? <laughs> so that was, uh, that was nice. I was, I was happy for that gentleman that he, he figured out a way to hold on to his nose hair scissors or whatever. Um, uh, in... Other, other, I mean, other things that, that can happen here are, uh, you know, just, you, you get to see a lot of people from all over the world, and that's nice, but then you also get to see a lot of people from Chicago, and they're very strange. <laughs> How so? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like every so often someone will come up to me and just want to have a conversation. They're not asking me where the restrooms are. They just need someone to talk to about their problems. So... I remember one guy came over to me, you know, looked like he was just covered in sweat and smoking a, like a bent cigarette. And he started, he started talking to me about his life story and I was like, I don't really need to know this, but okay. And apparently he lives in one of the, like one of the buildings here. Cause he just pointed, like, yeah, I live there. How? Cause this guy didn't look like he lived in a penthouse apartment. He's like, well, you know, I live with my friend and his father, you know, owned a big company. Then he died and his son inherited it all. But he's a paraplegic or something like that. You know, he's crippled, so I have to take care of him. And I, I take care of this guy and we live there together. But, you know, he's his ex-wife who's trying to you know, take everything from him. And I just felt really bad for this guy. And I guess he had to come, come to the park and blow off some steam. But I'm happy to be a therapist, too, because that's what it sometimes comes down to. <laughs> that was Jake Green. Jake uh, was a new hire. I uh, was not a returning usher. He was a new hire, but he had one of the reasons I hired him is that he had experience at Steppenwolf. He had been an usher at Steppenwolf and was uh, very successful, came highly recommended, that kind of thing. And, uh, and that was him talking a little bit about being a therapist in Millennium Park, and it's true, when you have that many people kind of coming at you and you are that source of information, sometimes you do have people that are just kind of lonely, uh, that just need someone to talk to, and you are there to listen to them, to find out what their problems are, and sometimes it gets, uh, 
a little crazy. Um, I recall once uh, we had a, a, a woman came up to me and she said, there's a man sitting on the steps and he seems to be very upset and no one seems to, nobody, no one seems to know what it is. And so I, you know, I came over to the man, and uh, and he was, he was, I mean, he was just sitting on the steps. Uh, he had uh, a beer, but apparently he'd bought it one of the things because you can, you know, he had a beer, and he was just openly weeping. He was just kind of just sobbing, and so I asked him if if he was all right, and he said no. And I didn't know what else to do, so I, I sat down and I said, "Is there anything I can do?" And he started telling me about the fact that he was recently divorced and his wife uh, ended up leaving him for his uh, friend of his. He didn't say his best friend, but it's a friend of his. And, you know, I found myself feeling really bad for him. I'd been in a situation similar to that. And so I, you know, I kind of, I empathized with him. And I, I said, well, you know, I, and I, it was just one of those things where I didn't know what else to say. And I had plenty of other things to do, but I thought, you know, he's kind of reaching out, I guess. I don't know. He's sitting out in the middle of, of a public park, sort of just emoting. So I said, I said, well, you know, I said, uh, I, I said, I don't know if this is helpful, um, but uh, I've been divorced twice. And I told him a little bit about those two, two divorces, second one more similar to his than I'd care to admit. And, uh, and then I told him about Dana and I and how we met and uh, how we'd been in the same sort of circle, in the same area a number of times prior to actually officially meeting. Uh, I told him about the first words out of her mouth to me were shut the fuck up. And that uh, we got engaged on our third date and then four months later went to Vegas and got married. And we were still married. And, uh, you know, we were, at the time, we were approaching our fourth anniversary. And it was the best thing I ever did, best decision I ever made. And that maybe... The way I looked at it, I told him, was that the first two marriages were practice. I did the best I could. I wasn't a very good husband. I, I'll be the first to admit that I was not the best husband that I could have been. Um, and it was practice to, to be, to first of all, acknowledge that. And then second, to be a better husband, to, to be better at it. And so I said, maybe this was your practice marriage. And as much as you, you know, loved her and love her still... You know, maybe th this is all just uh, grist for the mill for you to be able to do. Well, you know, from that point on, yeah, I, I mean, I had work to do, and he thanked me, and you know, it, it, you know, I think he stopped crying. I think you know, kind of got got a little got a hold of himself a little bit. But then I'd see him periodically in the park, and he have he would always have dates, and he would always introduce me to his dates. And I was not like a steady girlfriend, but it was always a different woman that he was bringing to the park. But he always made a point to come over and say, "Yeah, this." is Don Hall. He, he's the front of house manager. He runs the thing. And it was like an opportunity to kind of say, you know, to, to, for him to kind of show off that kind of thing. And that was fun. That was fun. The thing that I thought was more interesting, and I, I will say that Joe Fernicola, who was my boss, he is the, was the patron services manager for the Grant Park Music Festival, used to talk about my managing style. He said, you're, you're more of a, a therapist than you are, you know, a manager. And, and that had to do with me trying to be a better manager of both my uh, yeah, ushers and just people in general. It was just it was just a better approach. And I think being open, I, mean, I, I certainly am not qualified to be a therapist, although I'll argue that not many therapists are qualified to be therapists. But that said, I tried to take a place in that role of really listening 
because part of it was everybody that, that came to me either had a problem to be solved or uh, a piece of information they didn't have that they needed, that kind of stuff. And they were always asking questions. And so I, if, if it was something that was a little more in-depth, a little more complicated than simply, you know, can you tell me where the bathrooms are? Uh, you know, I tried, but it was my job to just sort of calm down and just listen and see if I could figure out what the problem was and do my best to help. And that sometimes got in a place. Now, one of the things that I also will say, in addition to, you know, if I, like I said, I don't know, I appreciated it from Joe that he felt like my style was sort of therapeutic, sure, um, was the fact that I found the park itself, the, the actual job, very therapeutic to me. It was like Millennium Park was my therapist. Now, one of the things I did, part of it was, you know, I, 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 I'd had in that leaving of WBEZ was a little, it was not the most, I didn't get sent off with a fair farewell, if you know, like a, a grand hurrah. There was no big party. I did not want a party. Um, and I felt a little untethered, you know, in some ways. And it, being 30 years in Chicago, I've certainly uh, have a reputation among some people. Some people, the reputation is not a positive one. Some people, it's very positive. It just depends on who you talk to. But in the park, I saw people all summer long that knew me. Uh, and that I knew, so, I mean, a lot of them I knew, some of them I didn't know, but they knew, either knew me or knew of me. And what was really therapeutic was to understand that that there are people all over Chicago and they would see me. And I, I mean, I had, I, I recall very specifically, a woman came up and came up and she said, you're Don Hall. I said, I, yeah, yes, I am. Can I help you? What can I do for you? And she goes, you were banned for women and children first. And I said, uh, I didn't realize I was banned from women and children's first. A bookstore in Andersonville. I said, I didn't realize I was banned. Well, I, I went to an event and uh, it was like a, it was like a storytelling event. And somebody said that you had been, you were told not to come. You were told that you were not allowed to come. And that actually did happen. I mean, I was, I was, I, the, the event was, uh, I was uh, recording for their podcast for a podcast and I, and, and basically someone that was on the bill or perhaps the owners of the stores decided that I was problematic, that I would trigger someone, you know, because they, they, they you know, they believed, they believed certain things about me and, and, and I don't really you know, work real hard to disavow them of that. And I went, oh, oh, I said, no, I don't think I've been banned from the store, but I don't, I actually don't go up to Andersonville very often, and I don't find myself in that bookstore. I've been to that bookstore uh, a number of times, so I'm not sure what you're talking about. And she goes, you know, she, we talked a little bit. She was, you know, she did, she wasn't coming across as aggressive. She just was like, oh, you're that guy I heard about. And I didn't really care what, you know, she'd heard about. But after talking, and then she had a question. I can't remember what the question was. But at a certain point, as she was getting ready to leave, she went, you know, you're a lot nicer than I thought you'd be. Which I just thought was nice. It was just it was like, oh, okay. So actually meeting me in person uh, belies the, the reputation that you had heard. On another series of events, I mean, there were tons of WBEZ Employees, I saw lots of my friends from WBEZ that I hadn't seen, and some many of them I hadn't seen in a good year, and they would see me. I mean, it was like everybody from uh, Richard Steele, who the minute he saw me, kind of ran up and just gave me a hug and was so excited to see me and so enthusiastic and 
It was so, you know, it was just, it was great to catch up with Richard. I saw, you know, Steve Bynum from Worldview, and we had a little conversation. There was lots of people that I got to see in the park from other areas. I saw plenty of theater people. At one point, uh, Ann Filmer came up, and she is with 16th Street Theater, and she came up, and she was like, hey, and she was excited, and we talked for a little while, and I mentioned that uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me was going to be coming, and she was like, is there any way I can get seats to that? I said, yeah, I got you covered. You know, and so we had, I had tons of theater people, some people that, there were a couple of moments where there was somebody that I knew didn't like me. They had said things online about me that were, that were, you know, crappy and hateful, whatever. And I would see them, they would see me, and there would be this moment of, are we going to say something to each other? Probably not. And because I was busy, I had stuff to do. But there was something very therapeutic about the idea of, I was in a very visible position. I was in a very visible and very public place. And I ended up, there were some fences that got made. At one, one point, Goli uh, Shigosomaki was uh, from uh, WBEZ, the CEO, was with Cassie uh, Stevenson, who was my boss and ultimately was the one that let me you know that we, we arranged for me to leave. Let's put it that way, WBEZ. And Goli never really made any kind of, I mean, she, she, she obviously, she had very different ideas of what the events were supposed to be. And so she just didn't really pay that much attention to me, didn't really want to meet with me, didn't want to have any discussions with me. And when I was gone, I didn't want to have any discussions with her. So there was no love lost in that relationship. And I ran into the both of them as they were, they were literally crossing the park to go to Navy Pier. And I talked to them and I was just very chipper, very upbeat, very nice. And then about a month later, I ran into Cassie and her boyfriend, and I was like, oh, how you doing? It's good to see you. And she goes, well, now it's not so awkward. And we laughed a little bit about that. And at one point, she said, you know, I know you really hate WBEZ. And I went, no, furthest thing from the truth, I don't hate WBEZ. There are some people I could do without, but I could say that about almost any organization, almost any place in anywhere, that there's always a few people I could probably do without. And uh, like I said, the park itself was kind of therapeutic. It felt really good. I enjoyed it very much in that regard. Um, and it's one of those things when you're in a visible uh, visible place and people from all of our I had teacher friends that I ran into I had that I hadn't seen in 20 years and theater people that I hadn't seen in a long time and WBEZ people that I hadn't seen, former students. It was insane how in Chicago it really gave me a sense of how much I have done in Chicago, how many people and how many different circles of influence I've been a part of. And that was really, it was a nice thing. Like, put it as a, it was a very nice thing. Let's hear a little bit more from Jake. Well, you, you get to see, I mean, I think the first thing that would come to mind is you get to see people being really petty occasionally. So, you know, we have a rule like certain people can go in if you have a ticket or whatever, things like that. You got to check the tickets. And then there's always that person's like, oh, well, can I just cut through here? I just want to walk to the other side and then I'll go back out. I don't have a ticket, but I'm just trying to take a shortcut. And you always have to take that with a, a grain of salt because I've seen it happen multiple times. I, I mean, I, I don't let those people in. I say, oh no, you got to take the aisle. I'm so sorry, whatever. But if, if you turn your back, they're like, oh, well, I, I guess I'll just walk in here. And then they'll go and sneak around and find a seat. And then you have to, you know, politely go over there and just let them know, I'm sorry. And they're like, oh, oh, I, I didn't realize. <laughs> didn't I just explain it to you? So watching people 
either play dumb or actually be really dumb. Um, or occasionally quite petty. So, so sometimes people will come up to me and they'll, this happened the other day. A woman came up to me and she said, can I complain to you? What did I do? <laughs> uh, I just want to let you know that this policy that we can't bring alcohol into the parks is ridiculous. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it, is be it is so that the, the park can charge you money to buy alcohol here. Sorry about that. We need to pay for all this stuff. She's like, well, yeah, I just wanted someone to know that I'm not happy about it. Okay, I guess I'm the comment box as well. I'm, I will not pass that along, but thank you for letting me know. Um, so there's that, but you know, occasionally people like are really nice and friendly and you see people bonding who, who, wouldn't, who wouldn't normally, or you know, they have an extra ticket and they can give it away to someone. So you see, sometimes you see the, the, the good sides of people as well. I don't wanna say that it's all people being, being snotty. Yeah, there are a lot of stupid questions that, uh, I mean, there's some standard questions that if you were working in Millennium Park, you're going to get from the myriad of tourists around the park. And this is for the daytime things. This is for the evening things. This is when I would be setting up, I would get these questions. Or my ushers got them on. Probably the most common question in Millennium Park all summer long was, where's the bean? Now, if you're not familiar with Millennium Park, it is a sculpture called Cloudgate. Um, it was also at least once known as the peanut, which was the most bizarre thing. But it looks like a giant kidney bean, like a giant chrome kidney bean. And it is extraordinarily popular. Thousands and thousands of people come to Millennium Park as a part of their tourist experience to get a picture next to the bean, to see the bean, the bean, the motherfucking bean. And... It's a huge thing. So it's, it's really hard to miss. So when people, and, and just like Jake said, it was pretty frequent. People would be standing and all you had to do is turn your eyes, uh, you know, 45 degrees and you could see the bean. Everybody's, where's the bean? Where's the bean? Where, the, the most common questions, where's the bean? The other question was, where's Sears Tower from here? You know, and, and so you've got a lot of tourists that are looking for things. I remember Jessica Calvin was one of my ushers. Great, great girl. Great usher. And, uh, but she was not as familiar with uh, Chicago um, and did not know east, west, south, north. Didn't know, didn't know her directions very well. And at one point, and I think this was during, uh, this was Gospel Fest, and she was working the patron services desk, which is a, a sitting at a desk and answering questions and helping people with VIP tickets and that kind of stuff. And I came up and I'm and she's giving uh, a couple directions somewhere, and I have no idea where she's telling them. And she tells them to go, you know, north on Michigan Avenue, and then they're going to turn right on some street. And, and I'm listening and I'm trying to think where it is she's directing them to because. As far as I can tell, she's just—it's like she's directing them to the Apple Store. Maybe I don't—I don't really know. It wasn't Navy Pier, which would have been that direction, and it wasn't—I—I you know, I didn't know. So I waited, and they left. They thanked her, and then I looked at Jessica and I said, "So yeah, where—where where were you directing them to?" She goes, "Oh, the Sears Tower." I said, "So tell me where the Sears Tower is. It's actually the Willis Tower, but yeah, okay. So tell me where that's at." And she gave me the directions. And I said, "Okay, Jessica, that's exactly wrong." She what? I said, the Sears Tower, as you go out to Michigan Avenue and you walk to the south, to the left, 
and then you get to Adams Street, and then you hang a right on Adams Street, and you just keep walking for about a mile and a half, and then you get to the Willis Tower. I, I said, you totally told them the wrong thing, and she just was mortified. She said, oh, my God, I've been telling people that all morning. I've been telling people all morning long the wrong directions to the Sears Tower. I said, how many people would you tell? And she goes, oh, God, dozens. And I, I thought that was a funny goddamn thing. So, you know, one of the things that she had to bone up on is where things were. That was important. Uh, another question is, was, how do I get to Navy Pier? You know, because people thought Navy Pier's, you know, Daly's Disneyland, another one of those great big tourist attractions. And had having had lived and breathed and worked every single day at Navy Pier for a decade, I think my favorite answer that I gave was commit suicide because that's a direct route to hell. Um, you know, there were 10 events this summer where they did not allow alcohol. And the only reason they could do that outside alcohol. The only reason they could do that was because they'd set up the new security checkpoints and that that, that allowed them to, to sort of search people's bags. And, make, and there were, that why can't I bring alcohol was a, a, a big question all the time. Um, you know, and, and, the way, and just like Jake says, new tools, do big 10 events, no outside booze. That way they can charge you for booze here. That's, that's where are the bathrooms and where are the bathrooms is especially when they're right next to a bathroom sign. I mean, that, that, that was always what blew my mind. It is universal that people do not read, are basically stupid. And I don't know if this is Google or if it's, you know, just a reliance on GPS, whatever it is. Is there'd be a sign right next to them with an arrow that says where the bathrooms are. And they would stand there and wait until they saw somebody like me or any of my ushers and say, where's the bathroom? I can't find the bathroom. It was killer. One of the worst experiences when it came to the bathroom was one of our very first events in May was uh, the Polish consulate had rented, basically, did a lease, a lease of the stage. And they had this huge, it was a graduation ceremony for a number of Polish high schools in town. And they had invited the president of Poland to come to Chicago. And he did with his wife. Well, that meant we had secret service. And I've worked with Secret Service before. I'd worked with Secret Service during Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So I, yeah, I, knew, I knew kind of the drill. So I worked with them, and I showed them all the areas. That, and you got to remember, this is very early, so I really didn't have a rhythm yet on how things would go in the park because I just wasn't that familiar with the, sort of what the ins and outs. And uh, so I, I let them know, and at one point they were like, okay, well, when the president arrives, we're going to have to close this whole side of the park, which included, we had bathrooms for the park underneath, you know, the, 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 the public washrooms were underneath uh, the sidewalk in what we called the East Arcade and the West Arcade. And they said they were going to close the East Arcade as soon as the president showed up so that they could escort him and nobody would be and they would usher everybody out. And I said, okay, let me know, radio me when that happens. Well, Secret Service didn't really give a shit if they radioed me or not at that point. And uh, all of a sudden, we start getting a flood of young and old, but mostly older uh, Polish folks looking for the bathrooms at the West Arcade because apparently they had shut the East Arcade and those washrooms, were they were being diverted by Secret Service. And so people, I mean, sometimes you got to pee, you got to pee. If you're old, you got to pee, you're going to pee. 
And uh, so I have all this. And just as at the point where we start to get a mass exodus of people coming toward the West Arcade for those bathrooms, they decide, the Secret Service decides they're going to not have him enter on the east side. They're going to have them enter on the west side. And so they immediately shut the bathrooms down at the west side. So at this point, no one believes that, I mean, people that uh, have to urinate, and probably pretty badly, some of them, there are no bathrooms in the park that are open, which led me to, I had to go to the Secret Service. I had to be very firm and say that they had to have at least one of the arcades open, and it had to be clear which one it was going to be, and it had to stay that way because we had, at that point, there were probably five, 6,000 people in the park, which meant that any at any given time, there were at least 100 people trying to take a pee somewhere. And we did one pee on in, in the Great Lawn or in the seats or in their pants. So that was one of the things. And they did. They, they, they accommodated, but it was a little scattered and a little weird. And uh, so when those people were asking where the bathrooms were, a shrug was the best that most of us had because we really didn't know where the bathrooms were open until I solved that problem. Um, how much does this cost was a, a pretty frequent question. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact, because all the concerts in the park are free, but I think a lot of it had to do with the, the security checkpoints. I think people thought they had to pay an entrance fee. Um, but all at Millennium Park, all the events are free to the public. And so that was a, a question that we always had to answer. When does it start? When does the show start? Now, one of the things that's very interesting is, I think I mentioned this earlier, is that Millennium Park has one of the most advanced sound systems of any outdoor venue in the world. And the way it works is, is that they've, they've got, on that lattice work that's above, they have speakers that have been modified so that they're all slightly micro-delayed. So that as you keep going further back, it goes so that the idea is that you can sit in the very, very back of the lawn and hear the music exactly in real time as it sounds from the stage. That's the idea. You know, when you see that big screen that you're still here, you're hearing the music. There's no eyeball ear delay going on. Well, part of the problem is that it sounded so good and is that people will be sitting in the back of the lawn. And if you're all the way in the back of the lawn, you can't see if there's an orchestra on the stage. You actually can't see that part of the stage, but you could hear the music. And we would happen at least at least once every orchestra concert where somebody would be sitting in the back of the stage, be 20 minutes into the concert, listening to music, and they'd say, when does the show start? Because they thought the music was canned because it was just that pristine, that clean, and it was right there above them. Uh, my favorite question in the park, from drunk people mostly, where am I parked? Now, there are three major parking garages just underneath the street and underneath Millennium Park. And they're all different. And they're all run by different. And they have different entrances. And my favorite, I had a woman, and she was, she was a little drunk. I don't think she was plastered, but she was a little drunk. And she comes up. And I've had that question asked at this point. I did this easily a month into the job. So I'd had the question, where did I park a billion times? And didn't really, you know, how the fuck should I know where you parked? What, you know? And so it became comical at a certain point. And so she comes up and she goes, yeah, excuse me. Where did I park? Where's my car? And I said, well, what color is your car? She said, blue. I said, what, what make and model is it? 
I can't remember what she said. It was like a Nissan something, Nissan Sentra. We'll just say that. And I said, it's a Nissan Sentra. It's blue. Okay. And so I'm going to say it's where you left it last. Because I don't know, how would I know where you parked? She goes, yeah, but where's the garage? I said, which garage are you looking for? Well, I don't remember. I said, did you keep your ticket? I left it in my car. Okay. You know, and so this, this was the game. And so the funniest thing is, is I'd been there long enough that I just went into sort of like Sherlock Holmes moment. I was like, all right, so tell me, when you came into the park, from which direction did you come? And she said, oh, I came from over there. I said, okay, then that means you are in, you're in the Millennium Park garage. You're in the Millennium Park garage. Do you recall uh, what floor level you're on? So I'm on, I think I'm on four. I said, okay. So if you walk, and I, I can't tell you where your car is, but if, based on what you've just told me, if you walk down that way to the east ramp, you go down through that door, you're going to walk straight down the thing, You're on, and you, when you enter the garage, you are on the fourth level. I think you're in 4C, and it should be somewhere right around there. And she nodded, and she left. And easily six weeks later, I didn't recognize her at the time. She came here, she goes, you found my car for me. And all her friends were like, oh, and I said, what, what are you talking about? And she said, I didn't know where my car was, and yes, I know it was a stupid question, and I can't believe I asked that stupid question, but you managed to, you helped me, you were very helpful, and you helped me find my car. So I really wanted to say thank you. And I thought, Jesus, okay, my pleasure. All part of the job. Let's let Jake close this thing out. I mean, ushers are people too. It's an obvious kind of thing there. Because um, some people, some people completely ignore you. This happens a lot at Steppenwolf too, where they don't even think of you as a human being. They just sort of walk past you. And that's okay, because, you know, I don't know what happened in their day, you know. And maybe it's better that they don't talk to me. Maybe they unload on me. So I, I get that. But, you know, just being friendly and saying hi is nice. And, you know, having, like, ha having some kind of, uh, uh, in like, exchange is always nice. Like, I, I try to, like, keep people on their toes. People, like, coming out from the pavilion. Oh, I need to use the restroom. Okay, well, you can't come back in after that. Wait, what? You know, it'll, it'll be an additional charge. I can't believe that. Oh, no, I'm just messing with you. You know, yeah. and some people, I mean, people who like it, like it. You got you to know who needs that, who needs that kind of, like, uh, energy. Don't, don't mess with people who don't want that because they get pissed. But I, I'm pretty good at judging that. The one time that I messed up was with that bean lady. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I've learned. I've learned not everybody wants me to mess with them. <laughs> and that was Jake Green. Uh... Wonderful guy, great usher, and uh, I, he's one of those guys I'd love to see again. He's just a nice, super, super nice guy. And that is Peculiar Journeys, Episode 48, Millennium Park Stories. Um, I want to take a moment and say that if you enjoy Peculiar Journeys and you enjoy the Millennium Park Stories, uh, do me a favor, share the, the podcast on your blog, on your social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever. Share it with somebody. Let them, know, let them know you like it. If you really like it, go online to iTunes, go to the Apple Podcast uh, Store, and uh, find Peculiar Journeys and give it a, a star rating and a review. 
Say you like what you like, what you don't like, whatever. Or email me at don at donhallchicago.com and just tell me, you know, you suck. I hate your voice, your fat, ugly face. I don't care what you say. But give me a little feedback, and that, that, that helps get other people to listen to it. If you really love it and you've decided that, you know, maybe you could forego a cup of coffee this month, Go on to www.patreon.com slash peculiar journeys and donate uh, a couple of bucks. You know, it just helps. It helps grease the wheel. It helps me uh, continue to do the podcasting. And I genuinely, genuinely appreciate that. I'd like to do a shout out for one of my Patreon subscribers, Tony Bowker. Tony's a great guy. He is all over the world. If you follow him on Facebook, he is flying. He's He flies everywhere. The guy is He's, he's fucking living large. So thank you, Tony. I appreciate your Patreon subscription. And uh, that is the podcast. And next week we'll have some more stories. Thanks for listening. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud, or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys. Peculiar Journeys.